0: Well, this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, it's actually been 40 years since Roe v. Wade. The exact number, of course, isn't known, but somewhere around 50 million uh, unborn children have been killed over these forty years. So I thought it would be appropriate to try to speak along those lines. In one way the section of scripture that we're going to look at may not apply and I'm kinda of, I'll be jumping around on various things <clears throat> this morning, but I do want to tie it in with the the uh fact that this is a time when across the nation we should be remembering and and praying about and grieving concerning the situation that our country is in related to abortion. We hear a lot in the news today about all the violence related to guns, and that is a, a terrible concern, these school shootings and uh, other places where these... Uh, mass murders have taken place and I think it is true I've heard the the phrase used uh, that we are more and more living in a culture of death I think it's true I think there's a number of reasons for that and I want to analyze that a little bit this morning but one of the reasons for that is, is I mean the basic reason is if you turn from God you always turn toward death. Because he's life. If you turn from life, you're going to be turning towards death. I was thinking of this uh, proverb where uh, it's speaking of wisdom here, but it's speaking of the wisdom of God, so it, and, it, and wisdom is actually personified in this section of Proverbs chapter 8, but it ends up this way. For he who finds me finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me—that's speaking of wisdom here, God's wisdom, God's way for us, God's will—he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. If you, if you turn from God, you automatically are turning towards death. And. <clears throat> There's so much talk about trying to uh, restrict uh, access to guns and that type of thing, and I am all for getting guns out of the hands of criminals. That's That would be great if we could do that. Unfortunately, we can't. The problem is not the guns. It's the society that is turned away from God. I mean, if you're going to get right down to the root issue of what's going on. It's a society that's turned from God. And I just wanted to look at various aspects of that. Eventually, we'll get back to the book of Genesis, which is where it all began. That's where the word comes from. And you can find every problem that mankind has right back, right there, in, the, in its very uh, fundamental, foundational form. <laughs> And the answers are there, also. But uh, let me just say a few things about this uh, thing of our society turning from God. You see it in various forms. First of all, you have a, a worldview that is more and more pervading our culture. And that worldview has to do with the fact, they say the fact, it's not a fact, it's a false presentation, that there are no absolutes. Now, right away, you can see that you're going to have trouble with violence in a society that says there aren't any absolutes, because if there's no absolute, then what's the problem with violence? It's just another way of getting, getting your way. No absolutes, apply. you couple that with the basic uh, teaching of evolution, the survival of the fittest, well, who's the fittest? Well, might be the person that's uh, strongest. So, a world view that's pervaded our culture. Um, along with that, you have just the undermining of the sanctity of human life. If, if there is no God, then what's the difference between a man and a turtle, or a person and a fly? What well, really, you have to have a basic understanding of the sanctity of human life based upon who God is and who God has made man and uh, man and woman people to be so if you if you undermine that which we're constantly doing in our society of course you're going to have a violent uh, society a uh, culture of death then you have a judicial system that won't enforce laws and let's criminals off easily we're told this in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 11 because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil if we just let things draw out and uh, for years and years uh, trying to deal with something Uh, some criminal that's obviously guilty and uh, often let them off anyway on parole after they've been in for a few years for violent crimes. Of course, you're going to foster this society that uh, is violent and a culture of death. And then you see the influence of the media, a lot of violence in the various aspects of the media. And that gradually desensitizes a culture. We are a desensitized culture. I I don't see how anybody could deny that, especially in this area of violence. Another thing I would mention is that uh, if you disregard God, which is the, the foundation of all meaning and purpose, then... Some people are going to just take that to its logical conclusion and say life doesn't have any meaning and it really doesn't matter what I do anyway. They talk about some of these people that have done these things as being mentally ill. Well, you know what? A culture that takes this position, their minds are messed up. Yeah, yeah they're, they're mentally ill that way. They don't, they, they're not thinking at all straight. And you can't unless you start with God. There's no way of having clear thoughts about anything Uh, and a basis for understanding logically anything unless you start with God. When people turn from God, they soon will be part of a culture of death. They'll be killing one another. The last thing I would mention is the breakdown of the family. We're seeing this all over our culture When you start, for instance, when you start redefining marriage, the way it's being redefined now, of course you're gonna have a breakdown of the family. When you don't have that family structure and an environment of natural affection, is what the Bible calls it, natural affection, you're gonna have a culture that's violent. It's, It's inevitable family values, the family affections that should be there to just make a society work in a a way that keeps it from going off into uh, total chaos are constantly being undermined and eroded in our culture. I wanted to say just a little bit about this thing of natural affection because the Bible brings it out in a number of places and it's It's one of the marks of a declining culture. A culture that's in decline is a situation where people are living without natural affection. So let's just look in two places where that uh, word is used. And this uh, first one is in in Romans chapter 1 and verse 31. You might miss it in the New American Standard... So I want to elaborate on just one word here. But, but Paul is going through the decline of a culture here and people turning from God. And first of all, it starts out with just not being thankful. But it gets a lot, as time goes on and people turn more and more away from God, there's more and more decline and, and more and more evil that comes into a culture So let's start with verse 28, and I'm going to zero in on one word. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which were not proper. Now that's that's just a description of a culture gone evil, gone bad. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So we have... You have a situation where now government laws are giving hearty approval to s- some incredible wickedness and evil. So you have a culture, you see, that's embracing this type of thing. But the word I want to g- uh, uh, zero in on is verse 31, that word unloving. We might say, well, that just that just means you don't love. Well, yes, except that the the word in the Greek has a special meaning and it it's talking about not having natural affection not having natural l- love the the thing that should be there in in our hearts if we weren't stifling it and and constantly turning from it is a natural affection especially in a family it's just part of the way god made us there's so many i mean it's it's just pervasive throughout the Bible, but just a verse like uh, there's a friend that sticks clo- closer than a brother. All right? There's a proverb. But it implies that, you know, brothers should stick together. It's just part of that being in a family. The, it's talking about the natural love that God would have in a person's heart for their family. Now, that word comes up again, and it's interesting how Paul uses it in Second Timothy chapter three and he's talking about the end times here. He says this this will be a mark. Romans one was talking about the descent of a culture. And here Paul is talking about how it will be in in the uh, last days. But realize this Second Timothy three chapter one or chapter or verse one. But realize this that in the last days difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. And then here's that word again, unloving. But it's a a special word. It's talking about natural affection that should be there. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of god holding a form of godliness although they deny the power deny its power avoid such men as these well so this thing of family love i don't i don't know what um, better way of saying it family love is something that's going to decline and be less and less as a culture turns from god it's a mark of a depraved civilization now you can see that uh, you can trace it even in the Old Testament as cultures, as they, as uh, Israel was instructed to come out of all the other nations, stay away from them because the cultures had declined to such an extent that there was not even a family love there anymore. Let's look at just a, one example of this. The Canaanites were a terrible example of what we're talking about. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 31. Talking about the Canaanites and some of these nations that uh, were ungodly. It says, You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God, for every abominable act which the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burned their sons and daughters in the fire to to their gods. So they had a religion where you would actually take your son or your daughter and offer them up to the false god. Now that, I mean, that's without family affection. That's about as low as you can go. The problem was that the Hebrew people were supposed to separate themselves totally from that, and whenever they saw it, it was to be destroyed, and they didn't do that. And so it actually came in to the nation of Israel. Let's turn to Psalm 106, verse 34. So they did not destroy the peoples as the the Lord commanded them. They were supposed to do away with the Canaanites because of the way they lived. But they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. That's talking about to Israel here. It became a snare to Israel. They even, now here's what Israel did, they even sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with with blood. They became unclean in their practices, and they played the harlot with their deeds. So even the professing people of God at that time were doing this thing, and it's, if you If you read the histories of many of the ancient nations terrible attitude towards their children unbelievable so uh, well this is a commentary- refer, uh, speaking back on that word unloving that I spoke uh, you know that we're talking about here is without family affection. this refers to those who do not possess the love and attachment which nature that's which nature teaches all mothers to have to their young. This expression denotes the want of affectionate regards towards their children. The attachment of parents to their children was one of the strongest in nature, and nothing can overcome it but the most confirmed and established wickedness. Yet the apostles charges charges on the heathen nations uh, that they were lacking this affection. He doubtless refers here to the practice so common among the heathens of exposing their children or putting them to death. This crime crime so abhorrent to all the feelings of humanity was common among the heathen and still is. The Canaanites, we're told, that's uh, some of the verses we looked at, sacrificed their sons and daughters and shed innocent blood. Manasseh, among the Jews, imitated this example and introduced the horrid custom of uh, sacrificing children to Moloch and set the example for others to follow. Among the ancient Persians, it was common custom to bury children alive. In most of the Grecian states, infanticide was not merely permitted, but actually enforced by law. The practice of murdering small children was also common among the Phoenicians, the Carthaginians, the Chinese, and the Hindus. Paul says this is a mark of a declining, uh, decadent, degenerate culture. When you see this
1: mm-hmm.
0: lack of family affection, this, he, he just uses the word unloving, but that's what he's talking about. This type of natural affection that should be there amongst a the family. I say all that to get us to Genesis. Let's turn to Genesis because we're going to go back to the root of this. The very beginning of it. Genesis chapter 4 you want to see the beginning of a violent culture, you just look at the beginning of humanity. When man turns from God, violence follows. It's, it's a natural outcome. When you turn from God, violence follows. And we're going to see that in the first family, amongst two children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. So let's, let's read a section here. Uh, chapter 4, and we'll read the first 16 verses. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and said, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now, they knew they were supposed to do that. I think they had been instructed by God. We don't have this, all the account there, but we know that God had, uh, uh, when, when Adam and Eve had sinned, he, God killed an animal to clothe, clothe them with. So I think they had an idea about the relationship of sin and sacrifice and the need for sacrifice. So anyway, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. Now we'll talk about that later why that was, but so Cain be- <clears throat> became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which, is, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden. And I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. He recognized That violence was going to spread. He knew just from what he had done that this was not going to be contained. Whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone find him, should slay him. Finding him, should slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, quite an account we have here of the first violent act of mankind, and it happened right there between brothers. So I want to analyze this a little bit, thinking about this account. First of all, just to think, is it is amazing, isn't it? Uh, It should just startle us how soon murder occurred after the fall. Now, we know that Satan was involved in this, the the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. They listened to what Satan had to say and not God. If you're going to listen to one who's a liar and a murderer, which we're told is what Satan's like, of course... Your life is going to be dominated by lies and violence and murder. Right away after he does this, he, he has to lie. Ah, where's your brother? God said. Oh, I don't know. What can we glean from this account? It's, it's a, a frightening thing that took place here. The first instance of violence, and it happens here right between two brothers. Well, one thing I'd say is that Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. He uses lies. That's one of the things he'll use to bring about violence and murder. And I'm going to tie this in, try to tie it in here with with this whole thing of abortion. That whole area is so full of lies and deception. It's incredible. The amount of deception that is perpetrated by this industry, and I, I call it an industry. Renee just ran this, or just read this to me last night, so I thought I'd mention it here. According to Planned Parenthood's own statistics just released, uh, their financial report uh, says that the Planned Parenthood received over a billion dollars in taxpayer funds between June 2010 and June 2012. That's, that's almost a million and a half dollars a, d- a day. Now, there's a supposed law in the books that said that money can't be used for abortion, tax money. But they, they give it to Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood says, well, we'll use that for other things. But that's not what happens. How can they use it for other things when abortion makes up 92 percent of Planned Parenthood's pregnancy services, Pre- prenatal care and adoption refers to less than eight percent of what they do. They're they're an abortion provider. That's the that's the business they're in. All the the, the lie of woman's health. We're we're here for women's health, and yet they are responsible for an abortion every 94 seconds in the United States well uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg there's so many lies related to these the, the, the whole the Roe Ro versus Wade was founded on a lie yeah. the whole thing is, is a big satanic deception you've got to think we, as a culture we don't think we don't analyze we don't dig we listen to the sound bites we listen to the catchy phrases If you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to believe lies. Because Satan is really good at making up those kind of phrases. And if you don't think and ask God to give you discernment and go by what he said in the Scriptures, you're going to be deceived. We have a nation deceived. How can we vote for a president that said this is what he stands for? You have to be deceived to do that. Well, the first deception was, you shall not die. That's what Satan told Adam and Eve. You shall not die. But not only did did he lie about disobedience bringing death to the human race, he succeeded in putting murder right down in the heart, right down in the human heart. Because there it was. Right away, Cain kills his brother. Just in a, in a matter of a few years since the fall, what we see in the heart of man is evil thoughts, and murders, and fornications, and lies. That's what Jesus said. I mean, we have to, we have to say this is this is the Lord's analysis of the human heart, and we we don't have to. All you have to do is read the papers and look around at our culture and you see, yeah, that's a pretty accurate assessment of the human heart. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness. There's the lies. Slanders. There is in every human heart if it's not restrained by grace murder. Murder's there. Paul said that one of the characteristics of, of sinful mankind is that their feet are swift to shed blood. Well, that's, it's right there, right there in the beginning with, with Cain and Abel. His, his feet were swift to shed blood, innocent blood. We're told that, you know, that's the, the external outward manifestation, but the inward thing, is there in every human heart. We may not actually take the knife or the stick or the gun and kill somebody, but if we hate our brother or a murderer, Jesus said, it's there. That the, the, the root is there even if the, the outward branch doesn't come forth. Well, that's the first thing. The lies... That Satan has filled a culture with, filled you and I with if we're not careful, the second thing we can see from this account is that righteousness does not exempt a person from suffering in this life. Just consider this physical death first struck Abel, the innocent and the righteous who who died first in the world the the one righteous person this Uh, bring this out a lot, but you just see the air of the health and wealth teaching there. If you're righteous, you're going to be healthy and wealthy and everything's going to go great. Well, that's obviously not the case. It wasn't the case with Abel. We live in a fallen world. That doesn't change just when you become converted. You're still living in a fallen world. Bad things happen to good people. Why is that? Because the world is not the way God created it. It's the, it's in the condition that we've made it through sin and through our, through our rebellion and turning from God. If a person's mad at God, somewhere along the line that's going to come out, they're mad at God's people too. You're just not going to be able to keep that from coming forth. Another thing we see in this account is that you have to kind of read on to get this, but there Right here at the beginning, you see two streams of humanity, two groups of people, the godly and the ungodly. ungodly. And you see the relationship between them. Here in the beginning of history, we see the great distinction that runs throughout all time. Some men are righteous by the grace of God, and others are wicked. And that can happen even in the same family. They may be blood relatives, but there's no spiritual kinship. And that's what happened here with Cain and Abel. There's going to be enmity between the righteous and the unrighteous. And you have this brought out so many places in the scripture. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, let's look one up here this let's let's turn to 1st John 1st John chapter 3 and verse 11 for this is a message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. There's, there's the, the thing. The evil cannot be around the righteous without disliking the righteous. It's just the way it is. He did, it's a, why did he slay him? For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. There, There's the heart issue. He who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Think of it this way. The first worship brought about the first murder. The first act of worship that we're, we're told of here in the book of genesis abel offering up his sacrifice the first worship brought about the first murder he who is born according to the flesh persecutes him who is born according to the spirit we're told in galatians chapter four so we see two streams of humanity and if you follow them down through the book of genesis you see that the way the parting of the ways you might say between those two streams Number four, I would mention also that we see what is involved in true worship and also true righteousness. Why was Abel's sacrifice accepted and Cain's not? They both bought, they both offered sacrifices. You'd think, well, that's, that's what matters. No, that is not what matters. What matters is the heart of the people, the person that offers the sacrifice, what sacrifice is offered, and just the the heart uh, the heart attitude let's just look at this there was a difference between Cain and Abel one was righteous and one was evil and an evil person offering a sacrifice God says is an abomination the prayer of the wicked is an abomination so there was a difference in the men. There is a difference in the offering. We're told that Abel brought the best, what he had. He brought the firstlings of the flock and the fat portions. Now, that's the best part. He brought the best. We're just told that uh, Cain brought fruit of the ground. So, I think it is certainly implied there that Abel was concerned about giving the best to God. And Cain just brought what was convenient. The other thing that's implied in the offering was that the one involved blood. Abel's sacrifice involved blood. And God, I think, had taught that, that uh, the real sacrifice was going to have to involve death because the wages of sin is death. And it's not enough just to bring a... Something that's grown out of the ground. He was teaching; he taught that uh, there needed to be death for sin. So I think I think Abel was aware of that in some some form. But the, I think the big thing is the fact that there was a great difference in the attitude of them, these men, because that's what's brought out what is brought out in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's turn there, Hebrews 11. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. So there was faith, and I think it had to do with faith in the fact that this sacrifice I'm offering is, is a sin offering. And it's, it's a, it was a looking forward in however vague a way it might have been, looking forward to the one true sin offering, the death of Christ. Yeah. It was looking forward in faith. That's what the Old Testament people had to do. We look back in faith to what happened on the cross. They look forward. They looked forward to the true sacrifice that would take away sins. So, uh, faith... We don't know what Cain bro- brought, but whatever it was, it was not brought with trust and faith and contrition the way Abel's <coughs> sacrifice was. And then we see in this account some of the results of sin when it's not repented of. And that's, we're, we're going to see more of this in our culture as, as sin is not repented of, as we embrace these, these uh, lies, we're going to see more and more of, of this type of thing. We see that what starts out, what you might call a smaller sin, escalates. It grows and grows. Cain, I think, started out with somewhat of a selfish attitude, a proud ad- attitude, a jealous attitude towards his brother, which turned to anger. He was angry, God says. And God tells him right at that point, you need to repent, you need to stop, you need to turn from this. And he didn't do it. So it grows and grows more. From anger, it's, it's a, there's a hatred. And from hatred, there's murder. So it starts out just down on the level of pride, envy, and then ends up in murder. From thought to action. And then you see the lies and excuses. Uh, <coughs> verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. We just got through killing him out there. and Another lie. Well, it's, he phrases it as a question, but am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer is yes, of course you're your brother's keeper.
1: Yeah.
0: If you have any natural affection... You're your brother's keeper. So lies come from a hard heart. I've, you know, you, you sometimes I wonder. I think it's because as a Christian, we we have a hard time really um, seeing how some people can do what they do. And one of the things that's really hard for me to see sometimes is how somebody that's for instance murdered another person can be so calm and so good at lying and saying oh, i didn't do it or i mean you can do the same thing if you are a bicyclist and supposedly supposedly the best in the world and you can lie looking the person right straight in the face and say, I did not take any drugs and over and over lie like that and convince people. It's just a bold faced lie. How can they do that? Well, this is what this is what Cain was doing here. I think it has to do with a hard heart and people actually Can convince themselves of their own lies. Well, a culture can do that too. And that's what's happening in our culture. We're believing our own lies. We're believing these things that that, uh, a few years ago would be obviously wrong, obviously uh, something that the culture would stand against. Kind of on the other side of this, though, you also see an unnatural fear come in a paranoia Cain says you know every place I go people are going to kill want to kill me well I think you know a guilty conscience is like that
1: yeah.
0: and uh, when we sin we're going to have that that guilt pressing down on us and uh, we're going to think that everybody is after us you know the uh Righteous can be bold as a lion, but that's not the way it is for the unrighteous. They, they know deep down, they know they're not right with God. And so consequently, they're pretty, pretty worried about things not going well for them, deep down. Shakespeare said, conscience doth make cowards of us all. And I think that's kind of what uh, Cain was feeling here unpardoned guilt can fill us with fear and terror. But you know what? Some of that can be good. I mean, we just need to channel it in the right direction. We need to channel it Godward and say, God, I'm guilty. I need forgiveness. And then there can be despair that comes also. You see despair coming in Uh, Cain's life. Doomed to wander from place to place with no rest. That's what's happening in our culture also. A whole generation of people, especially young people, wandering. Why am I alive? What's going on? What's the purpose? No, no peace, no purpose. Before Cain had a purpose, he was a tiller of the ground. That's that's nothing wrong with what he what he was doing. In fact, you know. God put Adam and Eve in the garden so they would take care of it. Cain was doing a good thing. But now that ground was cursed and he was cursed. What before gave him sustenance and satisfaction wasn't there anymore. If he, if there's no repentance, there's going to be despair. There's going to be that sense of Wandering. The biggest problem that Cain had was not just that he was driven from the face of the ground. Verse 14, Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground and from thy face I shall be hidden. Separation from God. That's what sin does. That's why that guilt needs to be turned back to God. But he didn't do that. So he went out from the presence of the Lord, we're told, in 16. And what a phrase. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now that word Nod is interesting because the actual name of that section of land, that area, was wandering, if you look there in the margin. Not is a is, uh, uh, Hebrew word, I suppose it's a Hebrew word, for, for wandering. So uh, it says he settled in the wandering land, which seems like a contradiction. And that's what people try to do. They try to settle down in this place where they uh, are separated from God. And you can't do it. It's impossible. There's no rest there. There's no peace there. And uh, you, the natural man tries to make it into something that it can't possibly be. It's the land of wandering because you're separated from God. If you get back to God, then you can have a, a city that has foundations. But the, the man without God says, well, I'm going I'm to try to do this on my own. So he's going to try to settle in the wandering place. It doesn't work. Sin will always make us homeless wanderers. As Bob Dylan said, like a rolling stone, a wanderer. No no settle, no place, no home, no direction home. It's because you're separated from the only source of life and peace. The one who would reestablish that natural affection in your heart, in a family, in a community, in a culture, the one who could make all the difference in, in a society, you're separated from that. You're trying, to, you're trying to function, you're trying to settle in this land of wandering, and it won't. you can't do it. And the only answer is repentance and faith. And you know, I think that God was even shown Cain here in the midst of all this, that the, he could do that. He could yet do that. There was yet mercy for the vilest offender if they would cry out to God. Even in this punishment of Cain, verse 15, So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord, Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone should find him, finding him should slay him. Well, that was a mercy of God there to him. I don't know what this sign for Cain was but it was a mercy and if 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 Cain would have even responded to that and and realized you know I can yet cry out to God for mercy for even in the, after I have killed my own brother and lied and all this other if he would confess his sin and repent and put his faith in God there could yet have been forgiveness now there's no indication that he did this But we shouldn't forget that no matter what the sin, God's forgiven a lot of murderers (laughs) down down through history. We shouldn't forget that uh, no matter what the sin, there is blood shed which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Mm -hmm. Because that blood cried out for vengeance, the blood of Abel. But there is blood shed that cries out for mercy and forgiveness And redemption. That is the blood of Christ. It's crying out yet, not for vengeance and retribution, but for pardon and cleansing. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is, you know, this is one of the main messages we have to give in relationship to this whole abortion thing. It's sin, but there's forgiveness. There are many women walking around today with a great load of guilt on them because of this this area of abortion. And we have a message for them that there is forgiveness in Christ. But Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, it says, we've come to Jesus... The mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. What's the writer talking about there? He's talking about that there's been a there has been now the one sacrifice that Abel's sacrifice, when he offered up the firstlings of the flock, there was just a picture, a, a very uh, uh, rudimentary picture of what was yet to come. A sacrifice that would indeed take away sins and make it so that we, d- we don't have to, to uh, be wanderers. We don't have to try to make up our own way of dealing with guilt and our sin. We can look to the only way that sin can be forgiven, which is the blood of Christ. Well, I know that was kind of scattered, but we have a culture... A culture of violence, a culture of death, because it's a culture of lies. And as the people of God, we need to tell the truth to people, live the truth before people, and share with them the the way of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. Let's pray. Father, as we see our culture going down and uh, realize that we live in the midst of uh, lies and increasing violence, we pray that you would make us to be lights. Uh, As we've often heard, as it gets darker, the lights shine brighter. We pray that might be the case. We ask for discernment, to be able to see through the lies that are all around us, and uh, then courage, faith, to stand for the things that uh, are in accordance with your character and your will. We think here on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we would ask again that uh, you'd open eyes and hearts and cause people to see that this, this is a grievous and terrible blight upon our nation. But more than that, it's an affront you who made people in your image we pray that in our our individual lives and in our family and as a church we would show forth uh, the reality of what it means to know God and walk with you We ask for help. We fail every day. We pray that you would help us by Thy Spirit to walk with You. We thank You for the blood of Christ. We thank You for the reality of Your work in our lives by Your Spirit. And we just ask for more. we want to be changed from glory to glory for your, for your glory.
1: We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.